Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. and welcome to heaven this is under consultation an episode by episode podcast type situation through the uk's greatest video game challenge tv show games master i am one of your hosts luke owen and you'll need skill and judgment to get your hands on my joystick and the latest bastard offspring of mr and mrs let's cash in on mortal Kombat. i am ash versus this episode aired on the 14th of december 1995 my 10th birthday FIFA 96 and Virtua Cop are still top of the console charts. Goldeneye is top of the UK box office for one more week, but we have a new UK number one in the singles chart, and it's our last number one for Series 5. It's Michael Jackson's Earth Song. Do we really want to talk about Earth Song? The only notable thing I wanted to mention about it is Jarvis Cocker once showed his bum while Michael Jackson performed this song live. I see, I did have a, a notable moment and that uh, this is a song that actually almost killed jackson like a decade earlier because he was performing it on his uh michael jackson and friends tour and there was part of it where like this bridge is made out of floating scaffolding and he climbs up on it while doing big theatrical i may be jesus type poses and then when the the song is escalating, the bridge splits apart, and he's the section he stood on, with no safety harness or anything like that, floats up, and then this tank rolls out onto stage. I mean, this is batshit stuff, but this hmm. tank rolls out onto stage, and he's kind of going, stop, no, he's doing, you know, a fairly, he's doing kind of a weird version of a fairly famous historical incident, and then what happens is the bridge comes back together and then he goes down confronts with a soldier child presents a flower to the soldier everyone like praise the lord all that stuff what happened on this one night and i think it was in munich is 
the bridge started to separate, but the section going up, like, didn't float up. It kind of did like the vertical rise you get at Alton Towers. It mm. went up really fast. And then, whilst he was still singing, and before the tank had even rolled out, scream if you want to go faster, it dropped. It dropped down into the pit. And yeah, he actually suffered um, injuries as a result. Did not stop the concert, carried on, got all the way to the end of the song, went off, came back on, did the encore, and only afterwards went to hospital. But it was that injury that started the painkiller addiction. Yeah, Jackson, not, uh, not, not someone we're really going to talk about for fairly obvious reasons, but that one just struck me as like a holy sh moment also because what he did without health and safety. I mean, this was not, this, this was not far removed when this happened from the death of Owen Hart. And essentially the kind of distance fall was around the same. The only difference being he was stood on a scaffolding and the scaffolding was doing the main fall. But, but you'd never be able to do stuff like that in a concert today mm. at all you would have to have multiple safety harnesses and wires. Because realistically, what would happen today is you'd probably be wearing a safety wire. And therefore, if the scaffold dropped faster than it should, you would kind of float up, also in a very Jesus-like manner. But uh, but yeah, that was just a little something that I found while looking at the Wikipedia and dug into it a bit more, because I was just like, I'd, I'd never heard of this. But I knew he suffered injuries around that time that led to painkiller problems. So... Yeah, it's it's a song I remember very very vividly coming out uh, and it might being in my bedroom and watching it on top of the pops and you know when they do the big countdown of the top ten and then playing the music video at the end of things like that. So you uh, you know this is number one for a long old time. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is our last number one for the series because our final episode is on January eighteenth and the song gets knocked off the week after by George Michael's Jesus to a Child. So we have just got like another you know, six odd weeks of this left. But I just I remember it so, so vividly coming out. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned, uh, uh, also at the top of this podcast, December 14th, 1995. Today is legit my 10th birthday. So Luke, what was going on on your 10th birthday? How exciting was your 10th birthday? Well, that's what I was trying to remember. What did I get? What did I do? I remember, I do remember turning 10 because I remember saying to my parents, you know, like remarking that I'm going into double digits. Um, and that probably means that I'm, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a child anymore. I'm not a, I'm not an infant. I'm, I'm now like, you know, more grown up than that. Um, and when I was kind of looking around at like, you know, what was in the console charts and what was in the video charts, I was trying to think like, what did I get for my birthday? And I've narrowed it down to one of two things. I basically got one of these for my birthday and one of these for Christmas. I just don't know which way round it went. So I either got for my birthday Micro Machines 1996 on the Sega Mega Drive, or I got Batman Forever on VHS. The Micro Machines are back, souped up and turbocharged. This is Micro Machines 96. Loads of new motors. Up to eight players can burn rubber at once. And you can get stuck in a 65 chaotic courses. There's even a unique construction kit so you can design and race on your own tracks. Micro Machines 96 on Mega Drive. Not for people with one track minds. It's either one of those two, and I don't know which which way around they go. I mean, both are quality choices. 
Absolutely, yeah. And I, I loved Batman Forever. Absolutely loved Batman Forever. And I got so obsessed with watching Batman Forever. I watched it all the time that I, you know, bear in mind I'm 10 years old. Then asking my mum, begging my mum to let me watch Batman 89. And she wouldn't because it was a 15. It was a 15 on VHS. Even though, like, I kept making the argument because I was doing, like, you know, reading up about it in various places. It was a, a PG upon release or a 12 upon release. Um, it was the first ever 12 rated movie. So, like, the 12 certificate didn't exist on VHS. So they had to bump it up to a 15 because just put the 12 certificate on VHS, lads. But they, uh, so my mum just kept making the argument, it's a 15, you can't watch it. And I didn't see it then until a few years later. I just needed more Batman in my life because I loved Forever so much uh, and the TV series because it was getting re aired on ITV. And yeah, my mum just not let me watch Batman 89, even though I made the argument. It's actually a 12, and I'm almost 12. So let me watch it. Oh, don't worry, mate. I mean, Batman and Robin's just round the corner. It is indeed, yeah. And I did go to the pictures to see that movie. I went with my friends. It was the second ever movie that me and my friends went to go and see in the pictures without our parents. The first being Space Jam a week earlier. I went to see it in the cinema. I probably had slightly more regret by the end than you did. My lasting memory of... Uh, seeing Batman and Robin in the pictures was... <laughs> I've told the story a few times because it really makes me laugh. You know the scene when uh, Robin kisses Poison Ivy, but he's wearing the rubber lips so he doesn't get the poison in him? Um, when he kisses her, this little kid about five rows in front of us stood up and just yelled, Robin, no! That is amazing. That's better than anything in the film. It was, re- it was really, really funny. So yeah, no, today is my 10th birthday, Ash. So happy birthday, me. I mean, you don't look a day over nine. Thanks, mate. Yeah, we haven't got anything to talk about in the film and TV world, or the video game world for that matter, despite the fact we are so close to Christmas. But Ash, I would imagine there's something to talk about in the old magazine. So what have we got going on? Well, as you are the birthday boy, what is a birthday without birthday games? Luke, it's time to play that favourite game. It's the... Sc- I, we need a name for this game. I mean, what, what could we call it? Yeah, because basically what we're doing here is that you read a review and then I just have to guess what that score is. So uh, there must be a clever name around it, but I've, I cannot think of what that name it, might be. It's kind of like The Price is Right, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's, it's a little bit like that because, you know, you're trying to guess what something is. I'm bringing a category in. Um, Price is Sprite. The Sprite is Right. Yeah, it's mm. on those lines, yeah. Uh, Luke's never-ending quest to get it right. <laughs> hey, I've gotten better over time. You have, and... As, as, as long as it's Les. As long as it's Les. Well, good news, you have a 50% chance of doing better this time because we've got two reviews of the same game for different platforms, one of which is reviewed by Les. Go on, that's my boy. Is the other one Pete? It is Pete. Oh, Bollocks. Me and Pete just don't see eye to eye. Well, we'll see because Les is reviewing the SNES version. Pete is reviewing the Mega Drive. We are talking Earthworm Jim 2. Which is remarkable, you know, I've just mentioned that it is my birthday today. I didn't get this game at all. I mentioned this when the game came out, like when we had it reviewed in the show, like, but 
I would have just thought, because I got this game, the, the prequel to this game, for one of my earlier birthdays. I just would have assumed that we got Earthworm Jim 2 as, uh, as well, but I never did. Well, let's take a look at the review. The cows are talking to me. They're telling me that I have to pick them up and dunk them in the bath to stop them exploding. I also have to protect them from being abducted by vicious aliens. Then I have to bounce some puppies on a giant marshmallow to save them from being crushed by Psycho. Then I have to get a dog to throw a bomb at Psycho's house. Then I must use my snot to swing around and reach unreachable places. Then I have to use a stair chair to avoid grannies falling from the roof. They also tell me to carry some pigs. They'll weigh down a platform so I can go down the plug hole. They also enjoy going down the slide. Then the worm can dress up as a blind cave salamander and enter a quiz show. Then, of course, there's a wardrobe. I have to move it so it can trip over the door that keeps running away from me. Now, before they come and take me away for that burst of pseudo-insanity, we are talking Earthworm Jim here, so you would hardly expect a normal run-of-the-mill sort of affair, would you? The great invertebrate is back and more insane than ever before. The first thing to say is that Earthworm Jim 2 is far better than the original. The first Earthworm Jim game was good but flawed, especially after prolonged playing. This one puts it all to rights. Are you agreeing with this summary so far? That's what I'm trying to decide. Do I agree with that? It might be because I've played the first one much more. Because you can get it on uh, Evercade, and it is going to be a purchase I'm going to make relatively soon, actually, that collection. And mostly because I'm intrigued by Earthworm Jim 2. I've, I've only played it in passing, so I can't fully comment on that. Um, but I also don't think I agree with the first game getting repetitive. don't think I fully agree with that. Okay. Every level is so different and varied that you never get bored and always have to find out what's coming next. The levels are completely fruitcake as well. We're talking seriously nuts here. Whether it's bouncing puppies off of marshmallows or throwing cows around, you can bet that you won't see anything quite like this in any other game. No bad thing. Earthworm Jim 2 has a lot going for it. There's always something new and different to see. All the levels are packed with humour, albeit slightly weird humour. And for once, originality is high on the list too. We could go on for pages listing all the great things that there are in Earthworm Jim 2, but that would just spoil it for you. Let's just say that it's a great mixture of games, great fun, and this will be a good time to start dropping some hints to your folks. Hear that, 10-year-old Luke? <laughs> yeah. Sure, no, I mean, I, I, I did get Micro Machines 96, which isn't half bad. No, no. But like leaving this review somewhere where they will read it with a post-it note that says, I want this stuck on it. So... Quite a positive review. Very positive review. That's actually more positive than the show was about the game, and they were very positive about it. Now, I'm not going to give you, like, too much of a hint, but I will say don't get over-enthusiastic with your percentages. Because this, okay. this one genuinely shocked me. So based on the review and the scores, like looking at the two of them together? I would say the review bigs up more than the scores pay off. Okay, because okay, that's good to know because I de I would have guessed mid nineties on pretty much every section had you not said that. So that's good to know. Yeah, that's about as much as I'm going to give you, and it's only because it's your birthday. Thanks, mate. Graphics same style as the original, but tons better. Just like playing the cartoon series. Ninety percent. Eighty-seven. <laughs> I was wondering whether I was going to go into the eighties. Okay, that's good. That 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 tempers that that's a good okay. That's a good starting point for me. Good to know. Okay. Sounds. Tons of screeches, plus some of the best guns in any game, bracket, not including Doom. So you said 87 was graphics? Yes. Okay, so I think that might be around the same point there. I'm going to say 89. Oh, 86. You went <laughs> slightly in the wrong direction. I did go in the wrong direction. 
Yeah, Les is having an off day, man. Les is all over the show. Gameplay, loads of variety and sub-games. It's fun so you don't get bored with it. Okay, this has to be in the 90s now, so I'm going to say 91. Oh, 90s, so <laughs> close. Nearly said 90. Lifespan, a decent challenge, plenty of levels and lots to do in them. Okay, I'm going back into the 80s, 89. 90. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this game. I love it for mysterious reasons. I'm really glad I'm the one with a stack of magazines, otherwise I'd probably be going through this. Overall, now, come on, here's your chance to to redeem things, and you've Mm -hmm. also still got an entire review, and the next review is on the Mega Drive, which is your home platform. My home platform. Yeah, but it's Pete, though, so I've got two, two colliding forces there. Yeah, it's Macho Man Hogan all over again. Earthworm Jim 2 is a rare thing, a sequel better than the original. Original ideas... That all-round sense of fun and challenging without being frustrating. A stonker. Right, okay, so we've had 87, 86, and then a pair of 90s. So, I think we are at... I don't think it's in the 90s, and I don't think it's flat 90. So, I'm either going to go 89 or I'm going to go 90. Maybe I'll stick with my original guess. 90. Yes! Oh, man, I was trying not to give it away, and I was really struggling because I'm just like, no, don't go into the 80s, you fool! That way death lies! I was going to say, it was either 90 or it was 89. Uh, But yeah, it was going to go swing one of two ways. So yeah, graphics 87, sound 86, gameplay 90, lifespan 90, overall 90. Considering that review, that does seem a bit out of step. I guess with graphics, because it's... You know, it's the SNES, isn't it? And like we've got proper big 3D games now that maybe while the graphics are really good for the SNES, they're just not as good as, say, Tekken is on the PlayStation and they're judging it accordingly. Yeah. Hmm. Which I think is unfair. Yes. Now, I'm not going to read the entire review of the Mega Drive one because actually a lot of it is the same as what Les was saying, just slightly less schizophrenic. What I will do is I'll read the last couple of paragraphs because that's what gets into the meat of it of what is the game actually like. The old Jim had attitude, but this is a worm of many more talents who's as happy avoiding sea anemones as he is rocketing after balloon bombs. Variety was what made the first game a hit. This is just as varied, but much better constructed with some good running gags, nice cartoony links and levels that you actually won't mind playing again. The puppy bouncing is a special favourite. The secret of Jim 2's playability is blindingly simple. It gives you more than one task to perform at a time. On almost every level, it's not just a matter of blasting your way through. You have to think and fight all the time. You must fight off enemies and collect cows and dunk cows before you can complete the level. You must save the puppies and make sure Peter Puppy gets the bomb to blow up Psycho. It starts off quite gently, but gradually makes you juggle more and more puppies, carry more cows and kill more things until you start losing a few lives, then a few continues, and then you die. You don't expect a sequel to be this much better than the original, but Jim 2 is a revelation. Oh, and it's very funny too. Okay, right. So, very much as praising uh, as the SNES one there, but... Continuing in my, I'm going to go Les mode here on this. So I'm in my late 80s, early 90s for some of my guesses, or flat 90. Okay, so here we go. Do you want an extra hint as it's your birthday? Oh, there's more hints to be given. 
I mean, it's two reviews, so why not? These scores are more where I expected Les to be. Okay, right. That is good to know. Lovely stuff. Only because it's your birthday. Thanks, mate. Graphics. Varied colourful levels and some of the best animation ever seen on the Mega Drive. Okay, 90. 93. Okay, good to know. That's a good, that is a good, so what I like about this game is you never get the first one right because you just need to hear, you need to hear a, a sentence and the score. So 93, doesn't mind, doesn't mind getting that wrong. That's good to know. 93, lovely stuff. Sounds. Top music, complemented by enjoyable samples and FX. No problems here. I think that is the same score, 93. 92. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I mean, that is very close, though. Very close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gameplay. Much better than the original. There's more to do, and it's not as frustrating. 94. 91. Huh, okay. Lifespan. The early levels are much too easy, although it does toughen up later on. Now, this is the first description where there is some criticism, so keep that in mind. I am keeping that in mind. Um, 90. 88. Ooh, wow, a DeLorean. Overall, Jim is a star reborn in another classic arcade platformer. Greater playability and variety make this a massive must-have title. Silly and superb, all-in-one shiny package. So we've had 93, nine, just to go over again, 93, 92, 90, 93, 92, 91, and 88. Yes. Okay, so 93, 92, 91, 88. I wonder if that averages out to 91. I don't think it would average out to 92. So I'm going to say 91%. You know what? You got it at the end. 91%. Yeah, there it is. And really, that's the overall victory. Uh, the other bits are just its just information gathering. Yeah, I, do, you know, I think between now and the next time we do this, one, I'm going to come up with a name. Two, I'm actually going to come up with a little rule set so maybe <laughs> people can play along at home. I would imagine people are playing along at home as well. Today on Games Master, we are going nuptial crazy because I am going to marry Wakefield. This is why the angels, bless him, and probably most of the women in this country are crying. I can't, I can't really explain it. It's like you get to a certain age, you feel you should settle down, find the right girl, and I reckon Wiggers, the Europop disco queen, is the lady for me. I want her by my side, singing Saturday night dance, I like the way you move, pretty baby, until the end of time. And it just so happens she is the special guest on tonight's show, so I'm going to pop the question live tonight. Ash, we have reached quite a pivotal episode of Games Master. I would say that there are a handful of like truly iconic episodes of this show. I think you could argue that the, the two Martin Mathers performances um, on Virtual Cop and the one on Time Crisis, um, I think you could say the Dave Perry incident, the, the final episode. I think this is under, this is probably in sort of like the top five most known episodes of this show, though probably not for any of the challenges, just for what happens at the end of the show, because it's the episode where Dom marries Wigfield. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, and I remembered this episode. I remembered this happening. I remembered how weird it was. What I didn't remember is that Dom literally starts the show by going, by the way, I'm going to marry Wigfield tonight. She doesn't know it yet, but this is what's going to happen. And I was like, well, I mean, that's a hell of a cold open. That's that's going to that's going to put butts in seats. It is. Yeah, this is, you know, a production meeting. They were sort of planning out the episodes and they're like, we're going to get Wigfield on. And Dom was like, wouldn't it be great if 
I married Wigfield on the show. We'll have Kirk do the ceremony at the end. She does it if she wins the challenge. We'll 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 have a wedding ceremony on the show. It's um it's it's pretty random. I I do like it, of course, but uh, yeah, it is very very random. Uh, it's just amazing that we've actually come this far in the series. And thankfully, unlike the last time uh, Dom was trying to woo someone on the show, Wigfield does at least seem in part on board with this. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to it when we get to it, but it is a lot of a, a lot of back and forth over whether or not Wigfield is in on the joke or not. Not that she's in on the joke, or that she knew they were going to do the joke. This certainly isn't um, Natalie and Brulia Gates from Series Four. Uh, this is far less awkward than that. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to to Wigger's performance in a little bit. Uh, but Virtual Fighter Two is also out on the Saturn, and we have a challenge possibly on the arcade version. But Games Master, what is that challenge? I've always been a stickler for perfection, and for today's event. I've turned my attention to that classic of arcade beat-em-ups, Virtua Fighter 2. Three contestants must take it in turns to defeat as many computer-controlled opponents as they can, with the contestant who gets furthest in the game taking the joystick. Easy enough, you might think, but there's a catch. In order to stay in the running, every player must finish their bout without taking a single hit. The energy bars at the top of the screen show the strength of the players. It's only by emerging from each bout with their bar intact that a contestant can move on to the next harder opponent. Remember, one hit and you're out. <laughs> also, fuck's sake, Dom, Virtua Fighter. I know, you'd have thought with the second one we'd be on board for this now, but no, later on when he has, he's in the booth, he does call it Virtua Fighters. Again. Oh God! He d- he does it in the intro. He does it in the booth, and yet spoilers for next episode. He gets it right then. Yeah, it's just utterly baffles me. Well, we haven't got time to do more takes, so um, you know it's absolutely fine. Uh, is it clay fighter or is it clay fighters? We may never know. Uh, or care? <laughs> I love this challenge though. This is a really cool challenge because this is. You are facing off against the CPU and you have got to win. But the idea here is that you've got to win perfect. You have to win with a perfect victory every single time. And effectively, winner stays on. Uh, I uh, Yeah, this is a wicked, wicked challenge. A really cool setup. I, I thought this was awesome. I love this. I also love Games Master referring to it as the classic Virtua Fighter 2, which I'm just taking as further evidence that he is, in fact, a Time Lord because he's from the future and therefore it is a classic. Every game's a classic to him. Or, as you know, when they're writing up the scripts, if it's a game that they like, it's now a classic. Or is Patrick Moore? I mean, Patrick Moore, I think, is Ron Burgundy in this situation. He is just reading what is put in front of him. Yeah, fuck you, San Diego. <laughs> exactly. As you can see, this challenge is tougher than a 10-week-old steak wearing a metal body warmer. Here to attempt this Herculean task, please welcome Hatim Habashi, Gordon O'Shea and Joel Phillips. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Hatim. All right, Gordon. All right. Nice to see you, Joel. Okay, right, Hatim, you actually won uh, the Sega Virtual Fighting Championship in 1995, didn't you? Yeah. So are you, are you the favourite, do you reckon? 
Probably, yes, but, yeah. And Gordon, you don't reckon you're very good at the challenge? No, no, I'm not good at all. I'm just to make the numbers up. Okay, and Joel, can you can you beat Hattie? Yeah, well, I've beat him a couple of times, but he probably might just come and tell me, but we'll see how it goes. So this is tougher than a 10-week old steak wearing a metal body warmer, uh, but we do have three very, very... Well, actually, no, I'll correct myself there. We have two very, very tough players on this and someone who is here to just bring up the numbers. Including someone that openly admits he is just there to bring up the numbers. Yeah, poor Gordon O'Shea literally is just like, I am. I went through the credits at the end to see if he was part of the production staff because he literally is just like, oh, I'm not very good at this. I'm just here to, build, to bring up the numbers. That or he was deliberately playing himself down just in case he actually pulled it off because then he could be like, ha ah, fooled you all. Uh, spoilers. He, does he doesn't. No, he absolutely does not. No. Uh, Hatim, however, is you know probably the, the odds on favorite here because uh, he won the Sega Virtua Fighter 1995 Championship. So you've got to imagine that he, I mean, I know that like Joel has beaten Hatim in a few fights, but you've got to think Hatim is the odds on favorite here. Absolutely. I mean, this is the kind of earlier days of fighting game competition, but there were still a lot of people vying for this. And also, maybe it's just because I find Virtua Fighter as a franchise, kind of hard to get to grips with. I admire anyone that can get to that level. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. We've discussed this with the first Virtual Fighter. I don't really like it as a game series. It's I've, I've said this before, it's too floaty a fighter. Um, I've just never gotten on with any of the entries. Mr. and Mrs. Let's Cash In on Mortal Kombat are continuing to have children. The latest offspring is Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, an upgrade chip for the arcade machine released simultaneously with the home versions of the game in an effort to keep arcade punters spending. The upgrade features eight new characters, a two-player tag match, and even an eight-player tournament mode, which rewards the victor with, amongst other things, a stunning replay of every single death move in the game. Now, now, here comes a slight error that we made in a previous episode of this when we asked why Christopher Lambert didn't play as Raiden in Mortal Kombat, his Mortal Kombat 3 challenge. And as was pointed out to us by a handful of people, because Raiden isn't in Mortal Kombat 3. He is, however, in Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. And I was then surprised then when this news item came up that Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 was way closer to the release of Mortal Kombat 3 than I had anticipated. I mean, to the point where it is just like a couple of upgrade chips for the arcade, much like there were multiple revisions of other Midway games like NBA Jam, this is kind of the same thing, is they will probably just get like a replacement board or a replacement set of chips, and you kind of like, you know, prime out with a <laughs> screwdriver, slot them back in, boom, newness. Just amazed it's coming out this soon after the release of, of MK3. I would have thought then, like off the top of my head, like if you'd have said that Mortal Kombat 3 is out in 95, I would have probably said that Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 was late 96, early 97. I mean, I can tell you exactly why it's come out this quickly or why I think it's come out this quickly. And it's kind of alluded to in the news article. And that is we've already got the home ports of Mortal Kombat 3. Why would people go to the arcade to play Mortal Kombat 3 when they can, buy, you know, get one copy buy between them and all their mates play it at home? But what, Luke, what if you did an upgrade to the one in the arcade so it had characters that weren't in the home version? This was done to placate the arcade side of Ms. Way's business. Yeah, it probably is something along those lines, yeah. And, you know, they were, 1995 was the year of Mortal Kombat. We, we played audio of the, the big presentation that they did, uh, you know, uh, earlier in, in our timeline with the release of the movie, the release of the animated series and the animated movie and the soundtrack and this and the other and, you know, various games and whatnot. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense as well that you are looking to do another big upgrade for Mortal Kombat 3 to 
I mean, essentially, kind of as Dom says, cash in on its success. And whilst it may have been a cash in or a way to keep the arcade kind of bookkeepers happy, it was also pretty much a high point for Mortal Kombat because Mortal Kombat 2 was definitely an escalation of Mortal Kombat 1 and probably my personal favourite. But I don't think there are many people that would choose vanilla Mortal Kombat 3 over ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Absolutely not. No, I can't imagine there are many people. Unless, of course, you are an expert on just Mortal Kombat 3. But even then, I'd imagine you're also pretty good at Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. And of course, this in itself would be followed by Mortal Kombat Trilogy, which was Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 plus a bunch of extra stuff. I've probably got that wrong. We'll get letters. <laughs> I'm prepared for it. Keanu Reeves' latest attempt at looking lovely is Johnny Mnemonic, an everyday tale of bloke loading top-secret computer files into his brain. Hit me. After that, of course, the Wild and his wife are out to kill him and put old Keanu's chase all over the real and virtual world. It won't win any Oscars for the plot, but it does feature special effects wearing T-shirts saying, We're impressive. What are you doing? Making a long-distance phone call. Beijing Hotel. Beijing Selected. released after christmas our next news item here is classic oh this is why people made fun of keanu reeves for so many years this is a proper bollocks movie with an absolutely shite central performance i don't fully blame keanu reeves in this because he is going for it in this movie he is not holding back but yeah, this is proper, like, you can see why Keanu Reeves was a punchline for so many years after this. Probably until, you know, John Wick and we got the Keanu Reeves renaissance. Yeah, because this is Johnny Mnick. I, 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 to be honest, that was its first problem, is it had a title that people looked like and just went, it's Johnny, it's Johnny, oh, sorry, I'm going to go and see something else. If you can't ask for the ticket at the box office... You're not going to sell the ticket. Is this better than The Net? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. It's our two stars of speed. uh, One of my favorite films of all time. Uh, I think this is probably better than The Net, but it is, oh man, like it's, my only note really I have on this is just like, it is so funny that watching Hollywood at this period in time, try and understand what the internet is. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think they really figure out what the internet is until I don't, probably another ten or so years before, ten or so years after this film comes out. I mean, the only decent film about hackers that we'd had at this point, and indeed I would argue right up until now, is Sneakers. Which, if you've not seen Sneakers, you should te- check out Sneakers. It is an amazing film. It's a tour de force of acting. So many great people in it, and. Whilst very old-fashioned and kind of hackers in the way of phone freakers and stuff like that, it's also much more realistic and accurate, even in the elements that are far, far-fetched and fanciful. And uh, it's yeah, I've I've got the Blu-ray of it over there. I was overjoyed when it appeared last year. It's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you said sneakers there. I thought you were going to say hackers, which is a film that I have got I have got love for. It's not a, not a great film, but I do have a lot of love for it. But this film in addition to starring Keanu Reeves, also starred Dolph Lundgren, which raises the question, can anything 
other than Masters of the Universe, truly starred Dolph Lundgren, and it's based on the story of the same name by William Gibson. And this is also where Hollywood go wrong, because you're trying to understand what is cyberspace, what is the internet, and you start with Gibson because, I mean, it's not even what Google threw up, because Google doesn't exist yet, but it is a case of, oh, computers, technology, cyberpunk... We'll just go with that Gibson fella. And that's not to say Gibson's bad, but he's not your starting block when you're Hollywood and you're trying to understand this shit. Go with something lower down. The, I, the This clip is so fucking funny. When he is hacking into the hotel lobby or whatever it is, and he's got to do this little like puzzle thing and he gets it wrong and it gives him an electric shock, it's so laughably rubbish. It really did make me want to rewatch the film, though, because I have not seen Johnny Mnemonic in a dog's age. When it came to the film coming out and the marketing, Sony, like, threw the kitchen sink at it. There was all sorts of stuff going on, promotional mugs and all that kind of stuff being sent out, but also using the burgeoning internet, including getting William Gibson to sit online and essentially do a precursor to the Reddit AMA. Now, William Gibson is a reclusive person who, despite kind of creating cyberspace and many of these things that are now tropes, um, didn't use the internet. And he likened the experience to taking a shower with a raincoat on and trying to do philosophy in Morse code. So not a fan of something that technically a lot of people think he had a hand in creating. But we're not done with cyberspace yet, Luke. If you thought your computer was one place you'd never say, hey, I bet you don't get many of those to the pound, think again. This is Sainsbury's idea of getting in the weekly groceries in the not-too-distant future. A virtual supermarket you enter via your computer. Apart from smelly old women paying for everything very slowly with one-pence pieces, it's just like a real supermarket. The cost of the goods is debited from your credit card and dispatched to your home for kids to steal. I love this news item because oh ash can you imagine doing shopping online oh, could you imagine a world where that might be a reality this is a little bit of a little bit of bullshit really because this did exist it was a real thing and we did actually see kind of the way the shopping experience was portrayed but it's not what it was originally designed for it was originally designed because Sainsbury's at the time were expanding and they wanted to work out how were new stores going to work before they'd actually been built. Was there enough distance in the aisle for two trolleys to get past each other with room for a person with a basket? And you can do scale models. You can kind of mark things out on floors, but it doesn't show how kind of traffic can flow around a store, how you can position the bakery in relation to the the kind of the rest of the baked goods aisle and all that kind of stuff. And that is where this started because they could build it together. They could walk around it virtually and then they could just go. If we narrow this walkway, we can get an extra frozen food aisling. Can you do that? And so tapity tapity tap. A waiting period, not quite instant, but certainly less than having to rebuild an entire model. And then they could go at it again. And this entire thing was put together with the intelligent system solutions of Salford and the supermarket that we see briefly here and that they used as kind of the base was Salford's branch that was just in the process of being built and opening. So it was very much kind of using a real supermarket that was being made as a proof of concept for this 3D world. And then, of course, because, hey, the internet was big and it was growing, the virtual shopping idea came about 
on top of that. That's not what the model was built for. It was built for far more practical reasons of cost effectiveness in developing new sites. But the idea of it being a virtual shopping place, that was a fringe benefit and something that got publicity like appearing on Games Master. Let's see that Salford getting a bit of a shout out there. I've got family that live in Salford. Um, yeah, it, I, I quite like the the idea of, I mean, it's almost Johnny Mnemonic in a way of here is what people think online shopping is going to look like in a few years time, which is literally you pushing a shopping trolley around a virtual space and picking things off of shelves and stuff, as opposed to what it is in reality, a web page, you click something and add it to your basket. Uh, so I, I quite like the, the, the fanciful nature of what online shopping could look like. I mean, it says a lot that even fully immersive 3D games that we get now with photorealistic graphics and, you know, all that stuff. You look at your Dark Souls and your Elden Rings and all those things. None of them use this kind of system for the in-game shops. Like most of the time, it comes up with a grid or a list. You choose it, you build your shopping cart and you check out. Like, it's too animal to do it this way. Yeah, I mean, Animal Crossing has it in it. But then again, Animal Crossing is kind of meant to be a world simulator. But even that, there are ways to buy things that are essentially using uh, Anizon.com or whatever. We're totally festive. Our Christmas special in two weeks' time is a celebration of five years of this fantastic series. And next week's show features a colossal Christmas competition. We'll be giving away five PlayStations and five Saturns, each with the three biggest games on that system. So, if you're poor and can't afford a next-generation console this Christmas, I urge you to stop crying. Pull yourself together and tune into next week's show, when you just might annoy all your rich mates by winning one instead. And with Christmas just around the corner, this show is going to be celebrating five years of Games Master, but not Series 3, by having a nice little competition, which is actually a very Series 3 thing to do. Uh, yeah, it's cute that we've got a little competition here, but it is very, very funny just how we are pretending Series 3 didn't happen. I mean, you say it's a little competition. This competition struck me as one of the biggest competitions they've done if you just look oh, at the street yeah. value. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it, I'm not to put it down or anything because it is it is huge. I'm just saying it's a nice nice little competition to have. Yeah. We, haven't had, yeah. we haven't had a competition on this show in ages. No, I mean, I think the last one was Series 4. Did we have one in Series 4? I'm fairly certain we had one in Series 4. I'm trying to think what the prize would have been. A goblin, probably. <laughs> Or little players uh but yeah no i mean this is pretty big five playstations are on offer five saturns are on offer and the biggest games we find out in next week's episode as well of what those games are and you get three games with each one as well and they are like the latest releases so this is nothing to be sniffed at and if you are a fan of this podcast and you are a fan of games master it's a very easy question to answer as well oh definitely but i am looking forward to talking about this competition with you next week because the games lineup for both consoles, that, that, that's an interesting one as to which we would prefer. Hatim, Gordon and Joel are about to take part in the sublimely fluid Virtual Fighters 2. Derek Lynch from Funland is going to help me out in this one. Derek, first of all, what do you reckon my chances are with Wigfield? With Wigfield, well, Dominic, a fantastic looking man like yourself should not have a problem. You're a very kind and beautiful man, Derek. <laughs> Thank you. Now, all our contestants have chosen to play with Akira on this. What's his strength? His strengths are his counter-attacks. That's stopping the attack midway through and attacking you. Um, Three-hit combo, and also his dashing moves, and also his ability to drive through your defence. OK, we'll look forward to seeing all of that. And we've got Derek Lynch in the booth for this challenge, which of course means that we are going to take this one seriously, because Derek Lynch equals Dom taking things seriously. Uh, however, uh, 
it does make me then wish that he doesn't ask him anything about the Wakefield nonsense. That's that's a that's below Derek Lynch. Don't drag Derek Lynch down to your silly comedy level, Dominic Diamond. You are going to just sit here and take this thing very very seriously with Derek Lynch. Although Derek does say that Dom will have no problem wo- wooing Wiggers. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm glad that he answered the question, but let's not try and drag him down to your nonsense. You you do that with Kirk Ewing. You do that with Rick Henderson. Do not do that with Mr. Lynch. Dom is correct though in that Mr. Lynch is a very kind and beautiful man. He is a very kind and beautiful man. I love Derek Lynch on this show. Um, Now, he mentions here that everyone is playing as Akira, and that is because it's a three-round fight thing, so everyone has to play as Akira. Yeah, he he does give a different reason, saying it's because of his counterattacks, his dash, his three-hit combos. No, it's because they're trying to do this in the most time-effective way possible. So everyone's the same character, like it or lump it. So I think we get, you know, quite clear from the very first fight that we have here against Lav, what the style of gameplay is. Hatim is all about the attacks, whittling down people's energy and getting the win. Gordon is the same, but is much slower at it. And Joel is all about that ring out victory. That is the quickest, most efficient way to get this done. Go for the ring out as fast as possible. Yeah, Joel is in it for the economy. He's like, I don't want to mess around with that. I just do a jump, a switcheroo, and boom, out you go. It's, it's the smartest cheap... way to do it. It's the smartest way to do it, if you ask me. If you are playing in a virtual fighter tournament against humans, it's a cheat. It's a really dirty way to win, and you will not be viewed upon kindly for doing that. However, this is different. This isn't about winning the fights. This is about not getting hit, at which point the entire kind of idea of tactics and combos and luring them in it goes out the window. You just want to get them knocked out as quickly and as effectively as possible. And therefore, I'm actually amazed that Hatim did not go for this tactic as well. I would have honestly genuinely expected all three of them, even Gordon, you know, being a number filler, to have gone, well, if I just ring them out, we're golden. Let them come to you, do a little switcheroo counterattack, push them off the edge. It's the, it's the easiest way to get this done. And it is like, I mean, Hatim is it's, so it's, good He's so it's how Splinter killed Shredder. <laughs> exactly. Although, if you watch the UK cut, it's hard to work out what it is that he does. And to be honest, you watch the UK cut, particularly on VHS, it's hard to work out anything. That film is so freaking dark. That is, again, you know what we said last week, you download a copy of that and you put it into Premiere Pro and you start dicking around with the brightness and contrast. Although I will say that the uh, best way to watch Ninja Turtles right now is the German Blu-ray because on HDTVs, it's the best looking and a lot of the Western English language um, kind of based releases, so the American and the UK ones, to try and make it more in line with the cartoon and the marketing they were doing, they screwed with the colour and the grading again, and they bumped the brightness up. So you can see everything, but you can also see everything. Mm-hmm. Do not see that man's face coming out of Leo's mouth. No, that's that that's eldritch horror territory. Anyway, back to Virtual Fighter. We've got versus Sarah next. Her team again just wins very quickly, and Joel, it's no issues for him. Gordon, however is out before this thing has even really begun. Like he gets in a little cheeky elbow, but then gets a three hit combo from Sarah. He really was just there to make up the numbers. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't even take a single hit. He takes a full combo to the face. It's a decided loss. I mean, one hit was enough. That didn't matter to Sarah. She just kind of got in there, gave it the welly. So we're now down to just Hatim and Joel. So Gordon is now completely out of the competition. Um, and it's up against Shun next. And like we get the same thing happens with the next two rounds versus Shun and versus Pi, which is her team does the counters really, really well and beats them down. 
but Joel just like whoop switch round ring out and yeah again same with Pi like he's like Hazim is so so good at these counters Joel's up next boom ring out which brings us to the final round of this against Lion obviously there are supposed to be more rounds of this but this is where our challenge ends and her team's hubris almost gets the better of him his you know it's not not maybe his hubris is to his his skill with doing counters and that's what he's comfortable with because he gets countered and he takes a hit so it all comes down to joel all joel has to do here is get a perfect to win so what does he do ash he does a ring out he takes a sidestep and he gets a ring out instantly the smartest man in this room. See, I'll be honest, when we got to this one with Lion, I actually thought Hatim was trying to do a Joel. I thought yes. he was trying to go for a ring out. He thought, shit, this is getting tense. I should probably just go for the ring out as well. But he, this guy was a championship player. He probably wasn't used to using the cheap and dirty tactics. I think it backfires on him. I think you're absolutely bang on the banana and I think it backfires on him massively. Fantastic challenge. We'll start with you, Gordon. You were the first one to leave. What, what happened? I became a pacifist just before I started playing and I couldn't do it. I couldn't attack anymore. <laughs> I had to finish it. That's a very valid reason, but at least you have made an effort to try and dress very similar to me, albeit more so, cheaply. No, I think actually you dress like me because you see me coming here for rehearsals and now you've copied my style, you see. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you need to shave and everything. You know, uh-huh. yeah. And get a shocking bunch of ginger hair. Mm, or, you know, you could, like, you know, stick with the Milky Bar Kid look. You know, it's good. It suits you. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly suits me better than your outfit does, Gordon. Right, moving on to Hatim. It was getting very close. I didn't think it was ever going to end, but Lion did the business on you in the end. Yeah, it's a matter of high and low. Well, he just attacked low, and it's just difficult to tell where he's going to attack. But I, I tried my best anyway. Uh, he deserved to win, so, you know. Oh, that's a bit. Well, these things happen. Yeah. Uh, right, Joel, finally you. Did you ever at any point think you wouldn't beat Hatim? You wouldn't get further? Um, yeah, at one point I did. I thought he might have clinched it just before, but... Lion, as you said, Lion got the better of him. So what I did, I tried to stay away from them at the start, and then go in and do my stuff, get it, but finish an overrun, no fancy stuff. But in the post-match, Gordon is up first and reveals that he became a pacifist. That's clearly the reason he lost Luke, not that he was just a seat filler. Exactly, yeah. He has a bit of a slightly awkward back and forth with Dominic Diamond because he's like, oh, you stole my style. And Dom's just like, well, you've got ginger hair. I'm like... Neither of these insult throwings are very good here, lads. I don't know. I did like Gordon's reply of stick with the Milky Bar Kid look. It suits you. That was quite good. I'm like, fucking hell, savage. I can just imagine Dave Perry was in the background like Emperor Palpatine there, just going, good. He'll be on my side come the Super Mario 64 incident. Hatim and Joel are, you know, actually just very courteous with each other. It's just, you know, Hatim said, uh, I got beat by Lions high and low. Joel deserved to win. And Joel was like, do you know what? Like, I just went for the ring out option. No fancy stuff. And that's what worked for me. Um, I, you know, Gordon was massively awkward in a lot of this in, in trying to make jokes and things like that. And not every single one of them landing. But I did laugh when he also celebrated when Joel was being presented with his golden joystick, acting like he also won. Yeah. Bless him. First up, Rick and Dave strip to the waist to get oiled up and wrestle the way God intended with Virtua Fighter 2 on the Saturn. 
it runs fantastically fast. It has three times the moves of the original game, which was impressive enough. And with two new characters, Shundi and Lion Raphael, it is set to blast the Saturn into a new hemisphere. This has extra secret hidden modes. For instance, you can play the game as 2.1 arcade version, which means you can play as Jarrell. Also, there's a team battle mode where you can take five of the characters and battle against five of the characters on another team. It's extremely fast, it's detailed, and it will take months to master. It is definitely the beat-em-up on the home console at the moment, and if you own a Saturn, you're going to have to buy this. Well, sticking with Virtual Fighter 2 now, and this is the Saturn home port of the game, and bloody hell, they are praising of this one. Um, and it feels like it's, again, one of those reviews where someone says, hey, this might be worth buying a Saturn for. Also, not to be outdone by Dave's US bandana, Luke, Rick's wearing a hat. He is wearing a hat. Well, you know, winter is coming, so he's got to try and stay warm. But he uses the power of that hat to divulge the game, having extra secret hidden modes, including the ability to play the game as 2.1 arcade version, whatever that means. There's a team battle mode where you can play 5v5. Dave thinks it will take months to master, and that makes it the beat-em-up on the home consoles at the moment. I thought that was Tekken, mate. Well, that's it, isn't it? So, you know, it's... They're very fickle, Rick and Dave, with switching their allegiances to whichever one's the new best. I suppose, you know, if a game comes out and it is a new better, then it is going to be the new best, isn't it, I suppose? 95% for this. Uh, as I said, like, I, the, my favourite thing about this was just, it feels like yet another review where they are saying, hey, if you are going to buy a Sega Saturn, maybe this is the game that will convince you to buy one. If it was Sega Rally, it was Virtua Cop, and now it's Virtua Fighter 2. And this game, despite being both relatively early and late in the Sega Saturn's lifetime, is considered to be one of the best-looking games on the system. Uh, they did have to make sacrifices when it came to polygon counts. The backgrounds were once again, I think, replaced with kind of flat-scrolling images. But it did look really, really good. Ran uh, kind of one of the higher resolution modes that the Saturn offered, uh, 704 by 512 both of which were a higher resolution than the original Arcade Model 2 version. And the only real negative was to compensate for that and its aim of getting 60 frames per second so it was like silky smooth, is it featured no lighting. All faces are rendered with the same brightness level. There's no dynamic lighting. There's none of that stuff you'd see in the arcade, which does make it look a little bit kind of flatter. It's not a game changer, though. Like, and I think that's one of the, the great things about a lot of these arcade Sega Saturn ports is that while they have had to make changes and they've had to sort of, you know, do revisions. So a little bit about this with Virtual On last week. I think Virtual On felt like it had more changes made to it. But things like the ones you got on Sega Rally and they've had on Virtual Cop and they've had on this, they're not game changes. It's just slightly, slightly less good graphics. But in the same way that, you know, Golden Axe on the Mega Drive might not look as good as Golden Axe does in the arcade but the playability and the gameplay is still there, and at the end of the day, that's what really matters. With 46 levels and over 73 bonus areas, will Donkey Kong Country 2 provide yet another license for Jimmy Nintendo to print money? Well, it seems like we've waited a long, long time to say this again, but the Prime Primate is back. Or rather, his family is, because Donkey Kong has been kidnapped. Enter Dixie Kong, Diddy Kong's little blonde girlfriend. With a ponytail, it's very, very useful indeed. Yes, the bosses have a lot better artificial intelligence, which means their attack patterns are a lot more demanding. I have poor little simian chums. And there are sub-games in this version. 
Remember the minecart in the original? Well, you've got a roller coaster section, which instead of just hurting it along railway tracks that are rather precipitous, you also have to race against other minecarts. It's fantastic. The SNES is still getting some recognition on this show, which you love to see. Donkey Kong Country 2 uh, gets reviewed here. I, I really like Donkey Kong Country 2. Uh, I am more of a Donkey Kong Country 1 player, uh, despite the fact that, you know, you could argue that 2 has made all the improvements on the first one. Kind of, in the, you know, but at the same time, like, I just, I love, love, love the first game. And I really, really enjoyed playing Donkey Kong, playing through Donkey Kong Country 2. I played through it again a few years ago. And it is if you'll pardon the pun, barrels of fun. Um, and I actually really like what they, they highlighted here, which is sort of like the updated version of the minecart section, now sort of like the roller coaster one. It is a really fantastic game. It has 95% here. But it is, you know, we mentioned this last week with the Virtua Cop review. That was Virtua Cop released on the Sega Saturn with the gun peripheral, 60 quid. This here is a SNES game, the generation beforehand, and it's just the game, and it's also 60 quid. I do think that this game, releasing this game, and indeed the plot of this game, is both taking a hell of a gamble and also showing confidence, both from Nintendo and from Rare, that the game was what sold Donkey Kong Country 1, not the character of Donkey Kong. Because Donkey Kong is nowhere really to be seen in this mo in this game. This is like Smokey and the Bandit 3. It it's actually it's Diddy and Dixie Kong that are the stars of this one. Donkey's being kidnapped... And so clearly they were like, yeah, people loved the game. They loved the tag team nature of the gameplay. But did it matter whether it was actually Donkey that you were controlling? Because the problem is Donkey Kong, by his size, is not actually suited to being the protagonist of a high-octane jumping game. The way they work with Dixie and Diddy Kong for this sequel, I think makes for a much kind of like more dynamic platformer. Don't get me wrong, I love the original, it will always be my favourite of the series, but I think this is a better platformer. I, I would agree with you there. Like, we talked about this uh, with Chrissy Two Sticks back when he was on the show, that, you know, it's you can see this on speedruns of Donkey Kong Country. The, the first thing you do on that game is get rid of Donkey Kong. You unlock Diddy Kong, you, you free Diddy Kong, get rid of Donkey Kong as quickly as possible, and then just play through the game as Diddy Kong, because he's so much quicker, so much lighter, and it's much easier to play the game with here. So you're right, so like when you come to do the sequel, just make two Diddy Kongs, essentially, and put a ponytail on one of them, and away you go. And it is a really, really fun game. And, you know, even though we are at the end of the, the SNES's life cycle here, this is not going to be our last Donkey Kong Country entry on the Super Nintendo. We've got another one coming the following year. Also worth noting that the new member of the Kong family that's playable in this one, Dixie. Dixie was not always her name. Other names were considered, almost 50, including Didine, Dee, Daisy, Dandy, Dolly, Dizzy, Danny, Dippy and Ducky. I think they went with the right one there. Well, apparently, originally, they were going with Diddy Ann before deciding on Dixie partway through production. Yeah, no, I think they made the right choice there. The idea is that, you know, because it's Donkey, Diddy, Dixie, DK, DK, DK... I think if you're calling them Diddy, Gribble and <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you are calling them, like you had sort of like a, a double barrel thing there, you could almost argue then it becomes DAK as opposed to just DK. But funnily enough, the creation of Dixie did come at the expense of another character 
as um, as someone noticeably missing from this game is Candy Kong, who was removed from the game because Nintendo were concerned over her sexually provocative nature. She's too sexy to put in the game. And yeah, the game came out. They struggled to meet demand. Uh, it sold a it sold a combined 4.37 million copies in the US and Japan. I think it shows the popularity of this series and also those people who are still holding on to their Super Nintendos while we wait for Nintendo 64 to arrive on these shores. You know, because like Donkey Kong Country 3 arrives in the UK in December of 96. Like, so it's basically like 1997 by the time we get to that. Like, you think how far we are into the PlayStation's life cycle there that we're still getting brand new uh snes games at that point but yeah like it is it, it's cool to see that we are still getting these games and they are appealing to those who are holding on dear to their nintendo fandom while they wait for the 64 to roll around and also here we are in the era of the saturn of the playstation and donkey kong country 2 was the second best-selling game of 1995 do you know what the best-selling game of 1995 was yoshi's island so the top two spots held by the last generation and part of that will be because of early adoption not being quite what it could have been i mean it was good it was amazing for the playstation for kind of a first entry into the into the home console market but there's that user base there and whilst it may be kind of 50 quid or 60 dollars or whatever that's still less than the cost of a playstation come christmas and actually you know when we look at the reviews that we've got here i've got the choice playing donkey kong country 2 or i'm playing virtual fighter 2 Donkey Kong Country 2 is where I'm heading. It's got it's got minecarts and roller coasters in it. Conveniently skipping the moral argument over whether we should arm kids in this country, Namco asks you to shoot everything in their new arcade game, Time Crisis. It seems that if Sega do it, Namco will do it as well, although they'll do it a little bit better. Time Crisis is Namco's answer to Virtua Cop, and although it features the same blast in action, it has a recoil gun which will move as you shoot which certainly gives you a little bit of arm make, and it has a pedal on the unit. When you press it, you'll pop up from behind a box or maybe around a wall, and you can shoot the enemy. When you release the pedal, you'll pop back around the wall and they can't hit you. Yes, the action in Time Crisis is even faster than in Virtua Cop, and the sections are held together by nicely rendered cinematic sequences which help to progress a storyline. This is top-notch, and it is the new holder of the arcade shooting crown, in my opinion. And I'd probably even pick it over our last review as much as i love time crisis i would still pick dkc2 over it yeah and it's a rare thing here for games master we aren't just reviewing time crisis we're reviewing the arcade version that's exactly what we're doing we're reviewing the, when it comes up at the end with the price it literally says one pound a go Oof. yeah this would be why pricey that as well 1995 freaking hell this is why my dad would give us one go on these things but you know go to heart of gaming now you can play it all for the flat entry fee Exactly. And its sequel, and its sequel, sequel, and all the other stuff. I think it's like House of the Dead and all that stuff. Good times to be had with light gun games. But this follows in the footsteps of Virtua Cop by Sega and does take the attitude of everything you, and it does take the attitude of anything you can do, I can do better because I think Time Crisis is a superior game to Virtua Cop. Same Come here. at me. No, nope, I completely agree with you. Uh, and I think that the, the ducking mechanic of it is what sets the two apart. And I think the ducking mechanic is way more inverse, or makes the game way more immersive. Uh, I, I would easily pick Time Crisis over Virtual Cop any day of the week. And even though both of these games were developed internally at Namco, 
they were by two completely separate teams. No one who worked on the arcade version worked on the PlayStation version. So it was kind of a case of... You'd have thought it'd have been easier to have some transferable staff between. But no, it was just the PlayStation team looking at what the arcade team were doing and going, cool, we'll make that work. And also just to kind of get ahead of ourselves, the port for the PlayStation is very good. It includes a very cool light gun. It is not arcade perfect. It cannot be arcade perfect because as powerful as the PlayStation was when it came to 3D games, it was not powerful enough to replicate the System 22 arcade hardware. Uh, They had to cut the frame rate. They had to reduce the number of polygons. They had to um, emulate real-time lighting. We talked about lighting in Virtua Fighter 2. Here they emulated it by basically hand-colouring the polygons to a slightly different shade and then just kind of flipping the texture so it would look like real-time lighting, but actually it was a pre-programmed pattern. When you mentioned Yoshi's Island earlier, um, I wonder if we can get a little challenge on that. Uh, Let's head on over to Games Master and find out. You know, you just can't beat a good old platform romp, and Yoshi's Island on the Super Nintendo is just that. Perched on the back of a bizarre green dinosaur, My contestants will be out to prove their platform prowess by collecting 32 coins from two different levels in two minutes. Not surprisingly, a host of pitfalls pepper their path, and they need to use skill and judgment if they want to get their hands on my joystick. You and I talked a little bit about this off mic last week before we started recording uh, episode 12, but uh, this is a challenge that on paper seems pretty easy and realistically it is but what makes this challenge much easier is the time that you've been allotted because you've got to collect 32 coins from two sections of the game but you've been given two whole minutes to get this done and spoilers for this wigfield gets this done with a lot of time to spare 60 seconds this would be a tight challenge even 90 seconds it would be a little bit kind of spicy but you know she'd make she'd probably still be making short work of it even even then so it's an understandably nervous yet exciting time for me as with sweaty palms i welcome the undisputed first lady of europop wigfield chance to play video games in your hectic schedule? Um, I do that when I sit in airplanes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I play Game Boy. Uh-huh. And what's your, what's your favourite? I love you, Wakefield. I'm sorry. I love you too. <laughs> this is a fantastic start. No, I'm serious. I have to say, I've been like fighting against it since the start of the show. Yeah. And uh, I think you're fantastic. Thanks. You're a very attractive girl. You're a rock legend. And you've obviously got pots <laughs> of cash after Saturday Night Let's Face It. I'm so... a girl to marry. Well, funny you should say that, because... Can I have your hand, please? <laughs> will, will you marry me, Wigfield? No, I can't. Oh, well, listen, I don't want to rush you, right? I'd like to, you know, I get shy. I'll give you a bit of time to think okay. about it, okay? okay. I'll call you so tomorrow. Like, by, no, by the end of the show, I'm afraid. We can get it all set up, right? Well, we can you help. have to help me to, to win the game, then. If you do the challenge, then, you will marry me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dom has had to change his trousers in anticipation of this, or his pant, or possibly both. Crikey, Wigfield looks proper 90s though, don't she? Oh, she is truly the first lady of Europop. I mean, she just looks like she walked off the set of the Saturday Night video. You know, dinny na na na. And while, you know, whilst not quite a one-hit wonder, she did have more songs than just Saturday Night. Yeah, we talked about this when Saturday Night came out because I think I think most people would say that Wigfield was a one-hit wonder with Saturday Night. 
Um, but yeah, like there are, you know, like a lot of one-hit wonders, there are other songs in there. It's just they were not as popular as their big hits. Or more specifically in Wigfield's case, they were not as popular in the UK. She is really lovely, though. Um, and we, we talked about this at the start of the episode of, you know, they've clearly gone through with her. This is what we're thinking of doing for the episode. At the end of it, Dom is going to, if you win the challenge, Dom will propose to you and we'll do a wedding ceremony at the end of it. But like she is, despite the fact she has obviously agreed to this, because I don't think they have just surprised her with this when she gets onto the set. She does sell sort of the confuddlement of the whole situation quite well you know sort of like, oh i can't marry you i'll only do it if i can complete the challenge but then later on she's like flipping the switch again and sort of like just you know, playing it up so it is i don't want to say it's a good performance but it is uh, I'm, I'm glad that they went through it with her beforehand rather than just sort of springing it upon her i mean i'd imagine there's a little bit of language going on and also accents and stuff and i bet you she went into this knowing that you're going to come out Dom's going to ask you if you play games. You can talk a little bit about your game playing habits. Cool to see she's a Game Boy player because that is a good way to kill time on flights. Even now, a handheld console is still a great way to fill those times on planes. I played all of the um, Uncharted game for the Vita on uh, on on a flight to Africa once. It was great. And she, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I play the Game Boy. And I think she was expecting to then talk about the games. But what happens is Dom gets halfway through asking her what her favorite games are, which I really want to know the answer to. And we never will. And then just goes, I'm sorry, I love you. I've got to marry you. You're a rock legend with lots of cash. There's some real inconsistency from Dom here because, you know, first of all, he's hoping to be a kept man. But then also he's showing off about how much money he has. Oh, he's a conundrum, that one. Yeah, you know, maybe Dom's constant talking about how much money he makes is all just bravado. There's nothing real to it. There's no real substance to there. He's actually worth nothing. And he's just trying to find someone. That's why he's constantly talking to people who've got lots of money, because he wants to know what it's really like so he doesn't have to pretend to know what it's like. But yeah, I mean, Wiggers admits, you know, yeah, fun girl to marry. At which point Dom does pop down on one knee and says you know, will you marry me? And she's like, I can't. But I'll think about it. Maybe call you tomorrow. And Dom's like, love, cameras are on. <laughs> We've got to move on this. You know, this is what I was saying earlier. And we've mentioned this a lot in Series 5 and actually throughout this whole podcast, any other show that had done rehearsals, they would have just gone through, here is what I will say, here is what you will say. I mean, friggin' when we do our skits and stuff for the channel, this is what we we would do that. Go through, do a quick rehearsal of the scene before we do it. Maybe a improv around it, this, that, and the other. But at least you are all on the same page of what the beats are supposed to be. Gamesmaster, haven't got time to do that. We've got one take at this. We've got to move on. I mean, I'd like to say that when we did UCP Live, we did a couple of bits of rehearsal for a few of the bits that happened. But I can genuinely say we did not rehearse diddly dick. We didn't. We certainly we went through our notes again, which is actually the first time I think we've ever done that for an episode where it's sort of like, you know, here is what I've got. Here is what you've got. Here is where we will play clips. But at least we knew at this point we will play a clip. Here is what we will do at this point. This is just like Dom has said to her, we're going to do this gag where I'm going to propose to you. And if you complete the challenge, we'll get married. And she said, cool. And that's, that is the extent of it. And it was like, cool. And action. And away we go. We'll make it up as we go along. And to be honest, it, it works as much as it doesn't. Like for every moment that just kind of feels a bit awkward, there are other moments that are just strangely adorable and enchanting, like Dom's counter off of like, well, can we, you know, get this sorted by the end of the show? We'll, we've got a priest, you know, Kirk will put on a dog collar and everything. And she's like, well, okay, 
if you help me win the challenge. That's the thing, yeah. Dom, if you can help me win the challenge, he can't really help her win the challenge. That again, if you'd have done some rehearsals on this, you could have then extended out the time because you could have said like, you know, Games Master has set the challenge to be you've only got one minute to do this. And then she says, oh, I need you to help me. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll change the rules and you've got two minutes to do it. And that, oh. you know, at least then that would have worked. There would have been some like, you know, there'd have been some story there as opposed to just being like, we have set you far too much time to complete this one minute challenge. But my favorite bit in all this is Dom is all over the place and, you know, he's throwing us to a commercial. And whilst this is happening, Wickfield is stroking his head and playing with his ears. And he genuinely doesn't look like he knows what he's meant to do at this point because Absolutely he's like, well, not. we didn't rehearse this. Nope. And now she's fondling me lobes. Uh, okay, right, before I completely lose the plot entirely, we're going to work out exactly what we're going to do about this uh, possibly fantastic, but uh, probably quite embarrassing situation. So we'll take a short break. This Christmas, there's one thing everyone's agreed on. Babe is unmissable. Ooh. It's Santa's best Christmas gift, Babe. Friends worried about what to get the kids for Christmas. Well, worry no more. Get them stick. It's not too thin. It's not too thick. It's stick, stick, stick. It's covered in bark. It's such a lark. It's stick, stick, stick. So give them stick. Better that than they get PlayStation. Remember, Saps, do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. Imagine a fantastic journey to the very edge of reality. I am the Pumpkin King! Surprised, aren't you? From the director of Batman, a video where anything can happen. You made flesh crawl! Imagine what your parents will think. Now yours to own on video. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Rated PG. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Citizens, be extra careful. PlayStation's Tekken is now on the streets. Don't let it moose your mind. <laughs> okay. Buy the video and you can put on the mask whenever you like. 
Somebody stop me! The mask, available to buy now. Get a huge discount at Lund Poly or choose 12 months to pay. It's called Easy Pay. Easy Pay? Get away. Twelve and a half minutes of single blokeness left because if Wigfield completes this challenge, she will be my bride because I love her with a love that's beautiful. And helping me out in my hour of need is my good friend Kirk Ewan. Kirk, how did I do there? Well, considering you are an ugly, Scottish, bald bloke with glasses, I think you did pretty well. That's very kind of you. Right, any tips? Uh, well, I would learn to cook if I was you because it uh, looks like your wife's going to be the main earner. <laughs> but about the game itself? All right, well, Yoshi's Island is a precision game. You've got to try and be as precise as, well, as precise as you can be on the back of a two-legged dinosaur. Mm -hmm. uh, the best thing Wigfield can do is take her time, make sure she gets the coins, because if she ends up in the fires, it's right back to the beginning. But we're back from commercial, and clearly they've had a chat, and if Wiggers wins, she marries Dom, and he may only have 12 and a half minutes of being a single bloke left. And this old second half really is just a lot of Kirk having a, not having a pop at Dom, but just pointing out all of the flaws that Dom has, which is things like, you are bald, you are ugly, you're not very funny, you better start to learn how to cook because she's going to be the money earner of this group. Um, and it, you know, that I, one made me laugh. That's like, one that made me laugh. And it's the Dom one that going, makes, any tips? <laughs> yeah, it's the one that makes Dom laugh as well. Like, And it's, you know, there are people who don't like Dom and Mate's era of Games Master. But and, and I do get that, but there is something about Kirk Ewing, and I think it's because Dom loves Kirk so much, and he really, really just like adores everything that Kirk does and finds everything that Kirk does so funny that it just makes the pair of them so endearing together. There, there is a certain adorable dorkiness to them. Yeah, they are. They're adorable together, and. I think it's what I, what I really like about Kirk Ewing is that he brings out a different side of Dominic Diamond in the same way that Derek Lynch brings out the more serious competitive side of Dominic Diamond that makes him remember that this is supposed to be a competitive game video game show. I think Kirk brings out this less cynical side of Dominic Diamond. He could be cynical with Dave Perry, he can be cynical with Rick Henderson, but Kirk brings out almost like the inner child of Dominic Diamond who remembers why he loves doing this show. And it is, it's very, like, as you say, it is very adorable. But actual advice for Wigfield, other than don't marry the Scottish bloke, is it's a precision game. Best thing she can do is take her time, which thankfully she's got two minutes. So there's plenty of time to do that. I was going to say, she's got time to take. She has got time to take, let's put it that way. And in a very odd move, odd production move, I would say, we don't have two minutes on the clock that's counting down. We have zero seconds on the clock that then count up yeah i actually had to go back and edit my notes because i did realize when we got to the end of the challenge it's like oh shit, it's going up not down because i was like oh hang on i've got my notes way wrong on this this is actually not nearly as close as i thought it was it's weird isn't it like i don't know why you'd make that sort of decision but she is well rehearsed on this challenge and is clearly someone that knows her way around a joypad or a controller because the challenge gets underway. She navigates the first set of pitfalls, collects six coins. She's soon at 12, then 20, and she exits the first level with only 40 seconds on the clock and 12 coins left to obtain. And I would imagine that, you know, we said earlier that she didn't give to, she didn't get a chance to tell us what her favorite games on the Game Boy are, but I would wager one of them is Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins, because she is 
very, very au fait with this. And even like, you know, the new mechanics of like you jump on in the second half of this, in the second section, you jump onto a dial and the dial has got a little arrow on it. And the arrow is constantly spinning. And whenever you're landing on it, it just moves in that direction that it is going. So if you need it to move, you need to jump up and get it to change direction. It's a very, very fun little mechanic. It's the sort of thing that Nintendo love to do. Add in, add in new little innovations for every Super Mario entry. Um, and she's just, she's got it. You could almost make the argument that it's not her playing it. It's just Dave Perry sat off to the side playing, you know, a Christopher Lambert situation. But this, I feel that this is properly Wigfield playing this. And I just think that she is pretty on board and she is okay with this series or, you know, Super Mario games in general. I would say my biggest thing that convinces me it is her playing it. And, you know, we'll find out probably one way or another if it is or not in a couple of months' time. But is it's not a flawless run and it's not a speed run. There are some times where she hesitates. There are a few moments where she pauses for reasons that are not necessarily discernible. And someone like a Dave Perry or a Rick wouldn't. No, they would have just got through this. Like, they would have done this in 60 seconds. And she reaches the halfway point in the time, one minute on the clock. She has 26 coins. She hits the 32 easily in one minute and eight. And then all she has to do is exit the level, which is a point where she does actually stumble. And it's not the first time we've had that on a challenge uh, where people get to the end and they're like, oh, I've done it. It's like, no, you've got you to leave. You've got to exit the level. Uh, maybe she paused to contemplate does she really want to marry a random Scottish bloke on telly? Again, with rehearsals, that's the sort of thing you could have like workshopped into. Because I think like, in, in my own head canon, that is what I have added in. But the, I think the reality of it is she didn't know that you had to press up to get through the door. Or as you say, she just thought getting to the door was the final. That was, that was where the challenge ended, as opposed to exiting the level as the end of the challenge. We gave you two minutes there, Wigfield, and you did it in one minute 15. That, to me, spells out very eager woman to marry me. I didn't want to be a single woman, and, and I like the coins. <laughs> uh -huh, you like the coins? Well, you can have a lot more than for me. I am fantastically wealthy. That sounds nice. Do you know what I mean? I'll treat you right. I promise. This is great, she can't wait. This is fantastic. <laughs> uh, I will, we'll do lots of nice things. I'll read your stories at night and it'll be good. Mm. So I have to ask you once more, I mean, will, will you actually, will you marry me? I thought you had to get down even least Okay, oh, <laughs> demanding, demanding already. We're not even married yet. Uh, would you marry me? I will. Oh, that's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. But then we get into the post-match where she's like, well, you know, I don't want to grow old a single woman and I do like coins, which is good because apparently Dom is now tremendously wealthy again. And so Dom asks her again. And I love at this point, she's like, you didn't get down on your knee. He did that earlier. <laughs> yeah, but he asking again. He should do the same thing again. Come on, Dom. Do it again properly. And he actually does kind of have a bit of like, oh, Christ, my knees a bit getting, getting back down there. And he asks a question and she says she will. But there's one more thing to be taken care of. The very special prenuptial agreement, Golden Joystick. This is very, very fun. Like, you know, Bit of rehearsals could have tightened things up a little bit, but the actual sort of ramshackle improvised nature of it does make it so. There's just something quite appealing about how ramshackled Series Five is at times, uh, in moments like this, and I, and I do very much enjoy it. Um, I mean, I pretty, I properly laughed at the end of the challenge when Dom shouted out loud, "Wiggles is my brain." I just, it <laughs> really, really made me laugh, and. Yeah, it's on be like, oh, I'll, um, I'll, I'll read your stories at night because you can, you can hit, you can almost see the cogs whirring in his brain of like, think of something funny to say, think of something funny to say. It's like, oh, I'll read your stories at night. I'll do this. I'll do that. It's the concept of Dominic Diamond reading Wigfield bedtime stories. 
Hey, look, you know, I've been reading my kid bedtime stories now. I've been reading her the same bedtime story now since December, and we are recording this at the end of April. So, I mean, I can tell you now, if you wanted to, I can read you We're Going on a Bear Hunt verbatim because it not, it's not the most in-depth story in the world anyway, but oh, I, I could read you some bedtime stories. Do you know what? If it wasn't with the fact that we really do want to get a couple of episodes under our belt today, <laughs> I would so take you up on that. <laughs> We're maybe that's the hand. maybe that's the uh, the two hundred Patreon tier is bedtime stories like Jack and Ori but with us. Have you not enough again? No, I was just sleeping. And forthcoming my- PC game Heart of Darkness was just one of the winners at last week's London Computer Animation Awards. The awards showcased nappy, wetting, state of the art computer generated <laughs> graphics, and there was oh about seventeen million new films, adverts, and cartoons there. Mostly sports follows the adventures of two disgustingly cute insects. This is probably the best of the computer-generated cartoons, even if it did feature a locust who was about as scary as Scylla Black doing a TV special on newborn lambs. What are you up to, my little lunch? We mentioned in last week's episode that this feature here felt like leftovers of a news item. News item scraps, if you will. It's a slightly, slightly extended news item because this is from the London Computer Animation Awards. But it is just Dom sort of like taking us through sort of like a, a couple of hand-picked p- bits of this, you know, Heart of Darkness, the Time Gate to Egypt and the end and this that, and the other. And it's like, some of it's actually really cool because it is talking about, you know, the advancements that people are making in computer animation. Like Toy Story is still, you know, a little ways away in our timeline and we are entering into a new phase. I think that you can sort of look at animated films that come out now and be like, oh yeah, I'm unsurprised that is a computer animated movie. But here in 1995, that is still, it's still new tech. And this sort of feature here is like a very cool thing to be like, and this is how far we are, that people are evolving computer animation. Yeah. And I mean, you look at Heart of Darkness and mostly sports, which was the story of the two insects playing basketball, also with the giant locust. Still a black joke here. Uh, we see Time Gate to Egypt, as you said. It's a motion ride. It's same old, same old. Where it gets interesting is actually with the last two elements shown. The first of which is Kappa, which is a Japanese film. I will hold up my hands and say, I did not know this film existed, but I've now got it in my to watch pile because I just find the concept of this fascinating. Because here we are in 9495 with a fully CGI character, and not just a fully CGI character, but a fully CGI character in a Japanese film. And Japan, when it comes to its special effects, was still very much in the man in suit. I mean, it still is now to a degree, although they do use CGI to enhance. And in the case of, I think, one of the upcoming Ultraman products have created a CGI man in suit which I love. I love that they've gone full circle. It's like, yes, we're going to get computers to make special effects that look like the 70s. But what we see here is a Japanese kind of like folklore in modern times kind of film. Uh, A kappa is a kind of like a river type goblin creature thing in Japanese mythology. And it was released, I think, for Western audiences under the title of the water creature, because that's kind of what kappa translates as. And the poster's a weird one because it could be a family-friendly E.T. movie. It could be something a bit grosser. But it looks like a pretty fun film. The only thing I'll say is the clips they show, so a bunch of kind of like different creature shots, it's only the baby creature that is fully CGI. The adults are puppets and man in suit because 
your wood. It's only when the creature is too small to be realistically done by man in suit. Could have still been done as a puppet, probably. But it's when they get down to a certain scale that they're like, cool, let's make it a fully CGI creature. And I think that's really, really cool. I wish there was a better quality copy of it out there. I have found a couple of different versions to watch online, most of them on YouTube. And unfortunately, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the Ninja Turtles movie earlier. It's very dark and you can't see a lot. Yeah, you are, you're a Absolutely right as well about um, Japan's level of computer animations. Uh, the, the greatest example I can give of that is uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidra, the 1991-1992 release. Is, it, it, it's got a Terminator 2 ripoff in the film where basically they have a T-1000 character. Um, they even cast a guy that looks a bit like Robert Patrick to sort of like to do this. And, you know, comparatively, the effects that's japan were doing compared to that of hollywood it's it's night and day like it doesn't even look as good as you know what hollywood was doing in the 1980s and the 1970s it looks really really ropey and that's why japan for so long held on to man in suit because that is something that they do better than anyone else and they do it way way better than the west does so yeah so it is quite cool here to see a movie from japan that has got you know computer animation in 1995 that is actually comparable to what they are doing in America and here in the UK. And then we get to the last one, which is called The End. And I sent you a link to this because I actually found the full kind of animated short for this one. Yeah, Ash, and I'm, this... I'm, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. I lasted a minute and 12 seconds. Uh, oh, it's, I, 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 I did warn you. Uh, you, did, you did warn me. I was really chuffed that you'd found this because I, I, I hadn't actually got around to looking for either of these myself Like when I was putting together my notes for this. like I just, It just sort of slipped through my fingers that I didn't get a chance to look at them. But holy shit. Like I'm, I honestly lasted a minute and 12 seconds into this before I just shouted, oh, fuck off and turned it off. Lingering narrative concepts and furtive simplistic montage are the harbingers of the new semiotics. But language as a patriarchal construct of insipid teledildonics obscures the struggle for representational power and ideology. No. Project perfunctly the super societal oppression of convergent transaction with art. Convergent transaction with art. It is a cacophony of bollocks. Looks lovely, but it is absolute fucking university degree bullshit garbage. Well, would you like to hear a quote from the director, which maybe explains a little bit about that? I actually don't. Like, I really don't want to hear from any of these pricks. No, no, no. D genuinely, this will explain why this is so much bollocks. You we ready? Wanted, we wanted to make something as pretentious as possible. No, not even that. Not even that. This is from the director's website, Chris Landreth. The End is a short film I did in 1995 while I was with Alias slash Wavefront, now Autodesk, the company that made the software that was being demoed here. I did this to test out new facial animation software that we were developing at the time, but it turned into much more than that. And The End was nominated for an Oscar the following year and a smattering other water around the world. This dude did it as a tech demo. This dude did not do it to be kind of showcased at some award ceremony. It was just literally to go, 
this is some software we're making. That is why the entire plot of this thing is the characters arguing with the director about like him not knowing what he was doing and not knowing why he was doing this. It was literally the visual equivalent of um, uh, Ipsum Locum. So it was never really meant to be seen in the way it was seen, and certainly not on the award circuit. So I actually don't think it is pretentious. I think it's a case of a guy was demoing tech stuff and just didn't think it mattered. I, I think this you and I just slightly different cats on this sort of thing. I could not think of anything worse than being stuck in a corner of a room at a party chatting to this guy. I mean, fair enough. I Because I actually, when I first watched it, I thought the same as you. I thought this is horrendously pretentious arty bollocks this is like fucking is not finished is it's finished, finished. It, but then i read the quote on the guy's website and i'm just like oh shit, this was just a tech demo you I, didn't I, actually expect this to to like i bet you the dialogue mainly existed to demonstrate the facial animation it didn't matter what was actually being said he could have literally just got some actors to sit there and go blah 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 but you wouldn't have got as much range of um facial shapes i and i i love the, you, the, the positing of that argument. And I, I love that that is a possibility that is the case. <laughs> However, have, having watched it and having watched a lot of things like this and having known a lot of people that have made bullshit like this, I, there was part of me that was just like, he thought that the story of this was fucking brilliant and it told a really, really interesting... And, you know, the, di- the cost me between this and the actors and directors and it made me go, oh, just fuck off, will you? So I hope I'm wrong on this. I hope that he thinks it's also a big load of bollocks. But there is part of me that thinks he probably thinks that this tech demo is also really, really great. However, something that will be relevant to your interest coming off the back of this is that the technology showcased in this movie will be used on some of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park 2. Well, it's a good job, Ash, because according to Dominic Diamond, yes, Dominic Diamond, he thinks that the effects in the first Jurassic Park weren't very good. Because that's what everyone said about the effects in Jurassic Park 1, wasn't it? That they weren't very good. Fuck off, Dominic Diamond. Just because you didn't like it doesn't mean that you just have to sit there and go on TV and be like, and everything about it was shit. There's a lot of people that point at things and go, look how good those CGI effects are. And I'm like, that's a Stan Winston model. Like, there are a lot of things in Jurassic Park which people think is CGI that isn't. That's what's so fucking brilliant about the movie is that everything in there is so integrated really, really well. But this is Dominic Diamond not liking the X-Files and just using this platform to tell you that because he doesn't like the X-Files, you should, you should also not like the X-Files. Do you, Europop Queen Wigfield, take this man to be your lawful wedded bloke? I do. And do you, Dominic, bald, unattractive, but quite funny diamond, take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? I do. I now pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss the bride. One thing, viewers. Although I'm marrying Wigfield, it doesn't mean I'm divorcing you. Bye-bye. Here it is, the iconic scene of Series 5, and probably like one of the most iconic moments of Games Master in general. It's Dom and Wigfield getting married, it's Kirk Ewing making fun of Dom. Um, uh, but, you know, Dom tells us at the end here, it's okay, folks. Just because I'm marrying Wigfield doesn't mean that I'm divorcing you. Which is a very little lovely note to end on. And this is very sweet, lovely nonsense. 
and uh, and and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I do love how it gets to the whole point of you may kiss the bride, and Wiggers was clearly prepared for this. She was not prepared for Dom to kind of do the record scratch moment of going. By the way, fourth wall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the last word goes to Wiggers, who like says she can't believe she's doing this. Which fair, I still can't believe you did that either. Absolutely not. But it is a very, very fun end to what I thought was a very, very fun episode. Episode 13 of Series 5. Ash, overall, what did you make of it? I love this episode. We may disagree on the CGI section, but I thought this episode delivered in spades. Um, The Wigfield Challenge was good. It was actually nice to see a celebrity that was good at playing games. If we go on the assumption she definitely was playing this. And I think unless we see otherwise in the book, she was. But let's talk that Virtua Fighter Challenge. That was such a unique hook and a way to utilize a game on the show. Again, we've talked about it with some of the other challenges we've had. We've talked about it with some of the other challenges we've had, which kind of go outside of the norm. When you make it more than just a person versus a person and someone wins, the stakes get higher. And it's it was brilliant. It was so interesting. I kind of wish they'd been able to either get three really shit hot Virtua Fighter players or just actually made it two but it would have been a lot shorter even though gordon was only in it for like two rounds you know it, it helped kind of like build the challenge out a bit yeah, yeah completely agree with you I, for me this is for this is this for me is one of the all-time great episodes of games master because it's, it's one of those ones where everything hits the nail perfectly on their head it's an awesome opening challenge because you have got games master taking this thing very seriously this is three two very very good players and you know and and poor old gordon but for the most part this is a very very seriously taken arcade challenge and i think we've seen actually all of the arcade challenges that have been probably some of the better ones that we've had in series five and so you've got that really awesome opening challenge that shows off gameplay skills and one of the hottest games that's out there at the moment a review section that has got a wide berth of things sega saturn snares arcade and three really, really great games in there as well. News items has got a wide breadth of stuff. Mortal Kombat 3, the virtual shopping thing, a brand new movie that's coming out. And then you have this wicked celebrity challenge that's got a really fun hook to it, a really fun storyline running through this with the whole Wigfield thing. And then a feature at the end that's here to tell you, and here is what is coming down the line in terms of computer animation in a really, really well put together and concise manner. I think that this is a a home run of an episode and every single beat hits. We haven't had an episode like this in a while where I just think that they have got absolutely everything on the money. I mean, it goes without saying, this is definitely above the 90% mark for both of us. Easily so. Easily so, yeah. I mean, for me, I've got 95% written down for this. I think this is one of the all-time greats. I, I was at 94 for a while, and then I bumped up, and actually, I went to 96. Oh, nice. Because it delivers on every possible front. We get some really good reviews. We get a nice broad range of reviews. We kind of get everything. We get current gen, past gen, and arcade. We get a feature that, whilst it is a little bit scraps, does show some cool stuff even if we agree or disagree on how pretentious one of the items was it's cool to see where computer animation is going and in fact one of those you can definitely see the start of the animation that became um ants and stuff like that but no it delivered on every front dom and kirk were really entertaining wiggers while occasionally confused was in on the joke in on the gag and it worked for it the angels were hilarious crying at the beginning 
96% an absolute joy of an episode and probably one of the few essential episodes of Series 5, like the ones that I can just look at and just go, yes, watch this without reservation. That's a great word to put it, an essential episode of this series. And nice that we're getting it so like in the mid-portion rungs. We talked last week about that mid-season lull. And here we are, you know, this is you know, pure mid-season. And it's one of the better episodes that we've had uh, of the whole series. Absolutely home run. For me, I, I'm sticking with 95%. I would have also gone up to 96 if they'd have just rehearsed it. Just had one run through, like, between Dom, Wigfield, and Kirk. Here is what we are doing in this section. That's all it needed. Um, but yeah, for me, like, this is a solid 95% essential viewing of this show. If they'd rehearsed it, would it have still felt like Games Master? It would have done, because I still think they would have done a lot of improv around it. Oh, uh, they'd have still biffed it, but they'd have biffed it slightly more smoothly. That's exactly it, yeah. Because, gotcha. I mean, that's a yeah. fair point. Yeah, they're never going to get anything smooth on this show. But I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at underconsolepod, on Instagram, at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you fancy chatting with us in real time, chatting with other listeners in real time, with people who are fans of the podcast, Games Master, retro gaming and pop culture in general, you can do so by joining us on our Discord. And while we're over on the Discord, I just want to say a big hello to Ian, who has just posted pictures of his Patreon pack, which he just received in the post today. Luke. What can you tell us about Patreon? Well, I can tell you a little bit about Patreon. Because patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you can back us at any level and you'll get access to UCP Extra, our monthly show where we do where we do this style of podcast, but about other TV shows. Most recently, we have looked at SWAT cats based off David's comments in last week's episode. And you'll also get access to Under Console Nation, our monthly community podcast. If you back us at the five pound level, you get next week's show one week early and ad free, but as you mentioned a patreon pack there which is at the 10 pound level what is it well thankfully i can say without hesitation because there's a picture of it now on my screen the patreon pack is our glittering certified golden joystick waggler mug and in that mug you will find retro sweeties stickers including shiny holographic stickers we're going old school with this also pin badges retro trading cards and a voucher that will allow you to purchase the under consultation t-shirt which will be restocked really really soon and a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom the amazing cliff simon sean pink lithium retro fund for everyone reese nick misha matty boo mark link kevin jamie ian harriet manga girl gordon dempster gordon brands david palmer david fisher darkside 73 chrissy two sticks arcadia wild pill andrew and adam d thank you all so much for listening We will see you in seven days' time as we head towards the Christmas special. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.